Welcome into the ultimate NBA season preview presented by Prize Picks. I'm your host, Tanitra Batiste. In the six episode series, we'll go around the NBA getting insight and analysis from all 30 of our locked on NBA shows with local coverage in a way you can't get anywhere else. Now, in episode six, we're looking at teams that will be vying for the number one pick in the 2024 draft. Joining me are locked on sports host Jeff Garcia, locked on Blazers host Mike Richmond, locked on Hornets host. Doug Branson and Locked On Wizards host Brandon Scott. Guys, thank you for joining me this afternoon, this evening, this morning. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. But first off, who in this room feels like their team will not, I repeat, not be vying for a top spot in the draft lottery this upcoming season? Well, the Hornets organization certainly hopes that they're not vying for uh, that number one overall selection. They hope that their young talent that they've drafted over the past couple of seasons uh, will uh, suddenly improve such uh, to the level that they are, are not in that conversation any longer. You know, I don't think they've made the moves this offseason to really put them in contention uh, for a play-in spot, much less a playoff spot. Uh, a lot would have to happen. A lot would have to go right. A lot of players would have to stay healthy for that to happen. But I certainly don't think their goal is to vie for that number one pick again. Same thing with the Spurs. I, I think been there, done that. You know, they yeah. got the big prize. They got Wemby. Let's move forward now and get this team, this franchise back to the top of the mountain. So although I don't think they're going to be purposely, you know, manipulating games and sitting people out as we saw last year, I think they're really going to try to put their best foot forward uh, with the Wimby era set to begin in just a few short weeks and really put him in a position where he sees this team being winners, not losers, uh, ahead of the draft lottery. He made it very clear to French media that he doesn't understand tanking. He doesn't believe in it. So I think what Wimby wants, Wimby's going to get. And if Wimby wants this team to be winners, they're going to push forward and try not to be a tanking team and try to get into a play-in and then uh, obviously playoffs and, you know, back to the good old Spurs glory day. So, no, I, I think the Spurs are going to try to avoid being tankers this upcoming season. Well, yeah, that's Randy, you know, Randy, you know the deal. <laughs> These are bad teams. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But they originated the tanking idea. That's, of course, how they went on that run. Thanks to getting. So it's interesting that this era, if they're able to kind of ascend, if you will, it'll be going in the opposite direction. Minus just one year of tanking. But yeah, I, I agree. I think that. Right. Yeah. No, no, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, it's right. totally different than what Tim Duncan and David Robinson era, indeed, you know, indeed. and a 19 year old teenager coming in this is not a four-year season pro a season college pro like right. tim duncan uh so uh I, I although i don't think they're going to be tanking per se but i'm not expecting them to be you know oh slotted in at number one through six in the playoffs you know i think there could be maybe at the lower of the top 10 mm -hmm. maybe flirting around that that area uh but no I, I don't think the goal is to tank i think the goal yeah. is to get this going forward yeah. yeah, it's kind of like that with the Wizards too, because we're, we're we're technically in a rebuild. But yeah. um, if you kind of look at our roster, it's like we kind of define it as before the deadline, after the deadline. We have a lot of veteran expiring deals that we kind of have to move on from because yeah. they kind of stand in the way of a lot of young guys like Kolabali and Johnny Davis getting minutes. So, you know, it's kind of weird with us because we're kind of in a gray area. We have a roster where they're not bad enough to really get a top five pick, but they're not good enough to really, you know what I mean? So, yeah, really Wizards make noise. Are, Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of our wins, unfortunately, are going to come in the, the first half of the year because 
we expect that most of these aspiring deals, a lot of these veteran contracts are going to be moved at the deadline. I think the Wizards could be bad enough to get a top five pick. Believe in yourself. There, there. Are, <laughs> there's, there's definitely, there's definitely right. a possibility that they're one of the five worst teams in the NBA, even if they do nothing. Um, I think the Blazers pretty proudly are going to be one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, I think that is just how it, how this one shakes out. Um, you know, they, they. As we're recording this, they still have Drew Holiday on the roster, or TBD on that, but. Yeah, he's not part of the plan. He's a really good basketball player, um, so he can't be part of the plan for a team trying to be bad. Uh, but th- like they've got some okay vets. Like I think DeAndre Ayton might be better in Portland than he was in Phoenix, and yeah. J- Jeremy Grant is an adult. But um, they, you know, it, it's a lot of minutes for 19-year-old Scoot Henderson and 20-year-old Shaden Sharp, and uh, you know, one of their oldest players on the whole roster is 24-year-old Anthony Simons. They're outrageously young right now. They're going to be bad like i know that there's some confidence from my fellow hosts here on the call but uh i believe in the in the fighting pinwell's ability to win 19 games and be the worst team in the proudly the worst team in the nba yeah yeah and i think it's one of those things where if nothing else they can now move on they can now take that young core and say okay this is what we have and here's what the long-term plan is going to be because the the dame lillard era is over so we can move forward and mike you kind of mentioned it but i want to kind of go back to it as well now that you have that younger core in place and a 24 year old is the wily veteran if you will kind of what do you see that plan being i'd say for the draft next year because that might land you in the lottery but also just kind of in the next maybe one to three years as they try to reset to be a contender in the West. Well, I mean, they got to figure out what they are. That That's the yeah. biggest thing. It's like when you sh- when you shift eras, you can say, okay, we are the Scoot Henderson-led team. Well, what does that look like, right? You need to find that out over the next 65 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they really believe highly in Shaden Sharp, and, and, and yes. my man has at least one incredible dunk a week. He's incredibly fun to watch. But you got to figure out whether he's a positive NBA player. So they a lot of what this season is about for the Blazers is data collection, right? Do what what does this group look like together? Who fits? Who doesn't fit? Can Anthony Simons play with the other two guys or is it just oops all guards again and they got to They got to sort of get taller. Uh, you know, they are probably two years away from being like truly competitive again, I think is is a, is even maybe a rosy outlook. But they um, you know, they they've set themselves up where they won't have the pressure to go for it. And when you start a new era, which I think like the Wizards are maybe and Brandon can speak to this, the Wizards are, yeah. are kind of t- t- tiptoeing into that era. Yeah. You can be a little more patient and the Blazers have given themselves like room to be patient. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, when it comes to the Wizards, I. If you look at the history of the Wizards, we usually do three-year rebuilds. If you look at John Wall when he was drafted, it took roughly three seasons for us to really start to get it, become a playoff team. So the Wizards are just in a weird position because on the one hand, you know, um, they're going to be decent. Like I said, they're definitely going to be a top five draft team. But um, Kyle Kuzma, he's going to get a shot. Sub. Jordan Poole is, de- is definitely the kind of vital piece in this whole roster for us because if you look at him, um, he has solidified himself in such a short amount of time. And he's not even in his prime yet. I mean, he is electrifying. I mean, we see him as probably the long-term answer at point guard eventually when we move on from Tyus Jones. But yeah, the Wizards, they have talent. I mean, it's just how do you measure success? I think for the Wizards, how do you measure success is not so much wins and losses as development of young talent and really seeing what you got in the future. You know, 
Denny Alvey has in the contract year, so what do you really have in him? Corey Kispert, you know, he's a shooter and a cutter, but can he add a defensive element to his game? Johnny Davis, can he do anything? <laughs> uh, and below Koulibaly, you know, he's a, a future 3 and D guy, but he's definitely had to work on his mechanics of the shot. But for us, success is measured by development. And that's in this new front office, that's where kind of where their head is at, you know, developing young talent. And when it's time to get that key trade or free agent acquisition, then you make that move to contend. But there's a lot of patience being taught in D.C. right now. So, And that's kind of what I want to go back to with Jeff in terms of you've kind of watched Wimby throughout these months. You've talked to him. You've heard like and kind of understand his mindset. But what do you think Wimby and then the Spurs organization overall would consider maybe a successful rookie season for him and for that squad? I think the first thing for him is just getting acclimated uh, to the system and the NBA uh, stage. I think that is their plan. And they made it very, very clear they're going to follow his plan. They're not going to rush him. They're not going to put him on the fast track. You know, if it takes him a full season to get used to the NBA and the way it is, then so be it. And that's the thing I think is not getting really focused about this Spurs team. You look at Vegas odds, you look at where the Spurs stand, you know, oh, they're not going to be a factor in the in-season tournament. Oh, play in, what are you talking about? You know, this team's going to be one of the worst in the league. See, I, I totally disagree and the city disagrees as well. And the reason I bring that up because they're discounting the fact that this young Spurs team, less Wimby last year, got pretty much head stomped every single day. They are hungry to prove that they are not that team. Mm-hmm. I've said on lockdown Spurs many times, that 22-win Spurs season, that's not indicative of what this team is because we know they were getting racking up those L's on purpose. We know that. If that was not their goal, I, I think they could have been, you know, flirting with a play-in spot. I think they're probably in mid-30s, you know. So if you factor that in, Mm -hmm. Uh, The fact that they were on a plan to up their draft lottery odds and it worked out, then they're at full power, a full healthy Devin Vassell who missed a huge chunk of his uh, season last year. Now you throw in a Wimby. Now you throw Mm -hmm. in a a Jeremy Sohan who didn't get relegated to the G League as the Spurs system often does with rookies. These young players got NBA minutes and they took their lumps. And I think they're going to take that experience, move forward. And I think something that's not bringing up as well, Pop is back. He signed a new five-year deal. He's back. There's still more stability on that uh, on that coaching sidelines and the Wimby factor. Even if he takes a little while to get going offensively, just defensively, just defensively, his presence is going to not only create havoc for opposing teams, but also create opportunities for his current teammates Kelvin Johnson the spacing for him to attack mm-hmm. uh, Devin Vassell same thing you know hitting down threes you know Doug McDermott who's still on the roster I mean wide open looks if, if Wimby gets double or triple teams throughout the season yeah. so I really think this team uh, you know shouldn't really be you know pushed away quite yet let's see what they look like see how they start cooking we'll really get a sense of where this team is going I would say close to the all-star break Coming up, which team has the best chance to land the top spot in the NBA draft lottery? But first, how does free Thanksgiving sound this year? Ibotta is here to give you cash back and help make sure your Thanksgiving table is complete because who wants turkey without the gravy? Turkey's great, but we all know the best part of Thanksgiving dinner is the sides. With Ibotta, you can make sure you get the whole family's favorite side dishes and the turkey all while getting yourself 
cash back. Big holidays mean big family get togethers, but you don't have to spend all that money on the Thanksgiving spread without something in return. With Ibotta, you can get your turkey and all of your favorite sides for free. Starting November 1st, for the fourth year in a row, Ibotta is giving 100% cash back on your Thanksgiving feast. Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods, so you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. Download the Ibotta app now and use code LOCKED to get 100% cash back on your Thanksgiving dinner starting November 1st. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use code LOCKED. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use code LOCKED. Mike and I had an opportunity to talk when the Blazers uh, when they drafted Scoot Henderson. But we talked a little bit about Scoot getting at the top of the, the draft from 2023. We've talked about Wimby, who we have not spoken about, Doug, is Brandon Miller. So your second overall pick in the NBA draft was also, remember, of course, everybody knew Wimby was going to go one, but it, there was a kind of flirtation about Brandon Miller going one or will it be Brandon or Scoot and how that was going to go. So I'm interested to know now that you've been able to cover him for a couple of months and kind of seen him in action, kind of preparing. What do you think about him and what he can bring to the table for the Hornets? I think there's a lot of promise in Brandon Miller. I think he he does. He has a high floor, and I think mm-hmm. the potential for a high ceiling. Um, a lot of it's going to depend over the next couple of years uh, what he can do with his body. Um, can he make some Jason Tatum-esque uh, transformations, both in his ability to handle the basketball and also, uh, you know, putting weight on on what is now a, a thin frame? Uh, so you know, those those questions will be answered not in this rookie season, uh, where I think he's going to be contending with. Uh, some significant wing depth uh, for Charlotte. He'll certainly play a major role uh, in this rotation, um, but it's it's not going to be, I think, you know, 35-minute starter every night, at least not early on, maybe maybe towards the end of the season if, if the Hornets uh, stay in this tanking conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think a lot of the conversation that we've had so far, and I think Mike and Brandon hit this nail on the head, the reason that all of these teams are at the tank table right now, and and we'll throw the Pistons in here as well, is that they're all searching for both a team identity and figuring out the individual identities of the players that are currently on the roster. And figuring out that team identity has to come first. The Hornets don't don't really have a team identity. The team identity is LaMelo Ball is a very good basketball player and watching him is very fun, but that's Mm -hmm. not an identity that wins. You You have to establish what you are as a team and, um, you know, I think Steve Clifford, the head coach, is doing his best under um, difficult circumstances. He came into last offseason late because the Hornets uh, failed to seal the deal on Kenny Atkinson. And then the team suffered so many injuries last season. They're in an accidental tank situation. I mean, they shouldn't have been here, you know, had the team stayed healthy. They had an opportunity last season to do a little bit better than they did. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Steve Clifford has a big challenge to figure out how some of these uh, some of the old new pieces are going to be integrated into this roster as well as Brandon Miller. But they're trying to figure out that identity and then figuring out the individual identities, which players uh, will make sense to keep and, and which mm-hmm. players uh, do you, uh, you need to get rid of in order to continue to establish that identity. I think that's going to be a big question all mm-hmm. season long for the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, and so I think- Are they going to... Go are they going to stay a little more veteran? Like, are they going to play Gordon Hayward and they're going to play Miles Bridges and Brandon Miller just going to have to, like, chill until January? Like, you know, they're in a weird spot because they have some 
uh, as I, the term I use, adults. They got some adults in the room, and but mm -hmm. they're like maybe not good enough to play thirty-year-olds. What do you think? How do you think that's going to shake out? Yeah, I think that again, the team's goal is still playoffs because sure. the the one thing you have to look at is Lamelo Ball has yet to play a playoff game, and they just gave him a max contract. He needs playoff experience. I think one of my biggest criticisms of how the team has handled this first little era of LaMelo Ball basketball, because look, they knew early on that they had struck gold with LaMelo Ball. Now they didn't know, okay, is this is this player going to turn out to be an all-NBA player or an every once in a while all-star player? And and I think they're pretty sure now, after they've given him the max contract, that he has the ability to reach that all-NBA MVP kind of, now a lot has to happen, but they, they feel like the potential is there. But they knew they had something early on, and I think they wasted a lot of time hoping that some of the young talent that they had drafted pre-Lamelo Ball would, you know, excel enough that they could lift them into the playoffs, and it didn't happen. They got blown out in two straight play-in games. And so now you have this player in Lamelo Ball who doesn't have that playoff experience, and you haven't brought in a lot of veteran players that could, you know, by proxy – Give your roster some of that. And look, they've had everybody, I think everyone here knows, and I think everyone listening knows that the Charlotte Hornets have had a lot of off the court issues that have been, you know, distractions for this team. And one wonders, had they worked earlier to bring in some veteran experience, yeah. both on and off the court, would they be sitting at the tank table right now? I would say no. Yeah, and I would agree with you because having covered the Hawks and being a part of that organization, definitely when the Hornets would come into town, that was the conversation. They're, they're showing glimpses of what they can be. And it was always like, wow, wow, I wonder if healthy and under the right tutelage coach-wise, and like you said, bringing in just one or two veterans to kind of stabilize, similar to the way the Hawks did in getting Vince Carter to come here for a couple of years to kind of stabilize things for Trey Young. That's the kind of thing that probably needs to happen as well, um, you know, for the Hornets to kind of find their identity, but also to to ascend. And of course, Lou Williams, much the same, was extremely helpful to the second unit. So we talk a lot about the guys who obviously were drafted at the top of this past draft to get these teams where they want to be. But then you've got those guys who are like second unit and with the right veteran could really contribute. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask you guys as well is this is interesting because we're talking tankers, but we're not talking tankers. Because when I listen to you guys talk about the young core, some of your young cores, maybe other than Mike's Blazers young core, but some of these young cores seem like they have the opportunity to actually not be a tanker, whether that's the play-in tournament or, um, and I think Jeff, you, you mentioned it kind of sneaking yeah. in at that number 10 spot or whether they just surprisingly sneak in, you know, anywhere from seven to 10. So. When you look at the young cores for your teams, which one of those young cores do you think has that most upside potential or has the potential to kind of shock the world this season? Uh, I wouldn't say shock the world, because, <laughs> but I think the Spurs do have the potential simply because the Wimby's in town now. I think yeah. that, that's it. He just boosts everybody on that court offensively and defensively. And you were talking about identity earlier. The Spurs players individually have been vocal about what they would like the identity to be obviously pop is going to have the ultimate say mm -hmm. but devin vassell recently spoke uh, in san antonio about this team wanting to be a running gun type style and because wimby can do that and nearly you know not traditional you know point guard okay trey jones you're the point guard you get us up here i mean it's, it's bizarre for me to say this but a seven foot five in shoes wimby 
could be the point guard running that fast break. So I think that that's what they would like to see the identity. Personally, I think with still pop is there. I think their identity is still going to be on defense. Uh, you just look at la- not this past draft, but the last year's draft. Who do they select? Mm-hmm. Jeremy Silhan, known for defense out of Baylor. Just surprised everybody. He had a little bit of offensive game. So I, I think you're probably going to see a mix of that in mm-hmm. San Antonio. A lot of running and gunning, uh, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of defense. Uh, also, too, but as far to your question about uh, upside and you know whatnot, yeah, I, for, for me, you know, it's, it's Spurs. I, I could have been host of Locked On Blazers. I probably would have said, "Hey, it's probably the Spurs," simply because of Wimby. But uh, <laughs> but I think I think the Spurs have that edge right now as far as potential to come out of the tanker, you know, the corral, if you will. Uh, with with all due respect to my host from the Locked On Spurs podcast, the Charlotte Hornets, uh, you know, if you look at how they're constructed, two seasons ago they won 43 games in the Eastern Conference, and they're generally the same team with a few added um, pieces. So I think Charlotte definitely has the opportunity uh, to to reclaim some of that offensive firepower that they showcased two seasons ago, and they've got a coach installed now in Steve Clifford that knows how to get young players to play better team defense. If you combine those two, they're not going to win 50 games. I don't think they're going to win 43. But certainly I think they have uh, the best opportunity among this group uh, to reclaim what they did just two seasons ago because everything that the Spurs and Wimby have to prove, they're going to have to prove it for the very first time. Charlotte has already shown that this core group can achieve something um, it wasn't very much, but they've achieved something. The race yeah. to 38 wins, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. 38, 38. <laughs> Coming up, which team has the quickest path out of the tankers? But first, snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel is the official partner of the NFL. And listen, you can visit FanDuel.com and include you know, money, their money lines, their props, so many opportunities there. And look, the NFL season is a great example of a topsy-turvy season where you probably need some good insight to help you to make the right bet. So again, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with the official partner of the NFL. I think we need to talk about long-term success, though. If you look at the Wizards, I think for the long-term vision, they're setting, they're setting themselves up for success in the future. Because, you know, look at the front office. Tommy Shepard is gone. You know, now you have a front office where you have three guys who can easily be GMs of their own team. Um, if you look at the coaching staff, West Side Jr. is under the microscope, but they added coaches to the staff that know how to develop. So, you know, it kind of puts him in a position where it's saying, hey, you got all the tools available now, you got to progress, but they're laying the foundation for a long-term success in DC. Cause look, we haven't won a championship since the seventies. So, and you know, if you look at the previous administration, you know, Tommy Shepard and Ted Leonsis, they were happy just making the play in, making the playoffs and being mediocre. We, now we finally have vision. We finally have a target, which is contention. That's something that we just had a press conference from 
from our, uh, our front office. And the biggest thing they kind of emphasized was, you know, building a sustainable contender, not just, you know, trying to be a one hit wonder, make them, you know, play and be happy. No, trying to build a championship contender. So, yeah, I agree in the short term. Look, we're not going to be good for the next three to four years, but I think that is necessary. And it's not tanking, you know, per se, but <laughs> we, we definitely are emphasizing, you know, progression of young talent, which is something we haven't always did in D.C. You know, you, the last player that we actually signed to a second contract was Otto Porter. So, I mean, you know, we got to start re-signing these young guys, developing these young guys, you know, finding guys that, in, that really implement the system that we're trying to run. So, and they're doing all that, you know, new front office, new coaching staff, you know, they're laying the foundation for long-term success. Yeah. Short-term, yeah, it, it ain't looking pretty, but. And and, and that's yeah. what I like about, the, about the, the, the Spurs situation right now, because as much as all eyes are on that big Frenchman in the middle, <laughs> if you look off the court, they're setting themselves up for short and long-term. Uh, I, I think they're going to be running the NBA draft for years to come with the amount of, uh, you know, picks they got in their war chest. Um, yes, flippable players. I still think everybody outside of Wimby and maybe Sohan is still on the table if the right deal comes along. They traded away an all-star. DeJounte Murray traded away Derek White to get where they are right now. And let's talk about their financial situation. They got a lot of money. They got a little deep pockets. So if they really want to fast forward this get out of the tank uh, corral that they're yeah. in. They do that immediately if the right deal comes along. Yeah, and I think if you show that patience to your point, Jeff, they have the ability to kind of play around with it. They don't have to make any you know rash judgments, if you will. And um, I, I think I like that about really, and, and I was thinking about what you were saying as well as what Doug was saying just in relation to the Hawks and just kind of the back and the forth and kind of deciding which way you want to go and, you know, who's kind of that um, that marquee player. So you guys have kind of mentioned some of those marquee players for your teams, not just those who came, who came through uh, the last draft, but maybe some of those players that are kind of two or three years in. This is kind of difficult. But I'm going to ask the question anyway, as we wrap up, because as you guys kind of look into your crystal ball and you see what you guys think this, your teams can be, whether it's this year, two or three years from now, et cetera, who's going to get them there? Like, who's that player that you say is going to be if that player remains with the team for the next three to five years? You guys will say, yeah, that guy, he's the one. He's the catalyst. He's the best player for my team. I'm going to roll with Jordan Poole. Because um, mm-hmm. several reasons for that. If you look at his age, he hasn't even hit his prime yet. Um, he, he's, you know, he's kind of a pop icon. If you know the NBA, um, as opposed to other sports such as Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA is more of a culture sport because of shoes yes. and so many different things. And you know, look at Jordan Poole. You know, he's known to you know play better when there's girls on the sidelines, stuff like that. And you know, just means about it. And um, but <laughs> the thing about the thing about DC and why that helps is because DC has never been a free agent destination. That's something we struggled with for a long time. But he's got that personality and he's got that play style that people are going to want to come to DC to play with him. So I'm gonna say Jordan Poole because yeah, young as far as our young pieces, um, you could you could easily win it with Bilal Kulabali. Uh, but the funny thing about the Wizards is that there's hesitancy to get rid of some of this young talent, but there isn't because if you look at Johnny Davis, Denny, and Corey Kispert, they were all drafted from the previous administration. So there's not a lot of loyalty here. You know, a lot of the chips are going in the middle for Black Kulabai because 
he was the first pick of the new front office. So mm-hmm. they, you have to see some returns on these young guys pretty fast because, like I said, there's not a lot of loyalty. But overall, I'm rolling with Jordan Poole. There's going to be a pool party in D.C., definitely. I mean, I don't know if Jordan Poole's most recent co-workers would agree that a lot of people want to play with him. <laughs> well, maybe a change from one coast to the next to the other will kind of he help. He did move out. very far away. He moved very uh, far hey, away. Yes. A lot of punch at that ways you can get from Golden State. A lot of punch at that pool party. Yes. Well, I mean, I mean, you you make a good point. But if you look at Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson, they both come came out and said, um, look, he was very productive. You know, he he was he was very key to them winning the, the no, championship. He was great during the title run. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And I mean, yeah, you can look at Draymond. I mean, Draymond has issues with a lot of people. But um, if you look at the, you know Clay, his comments, even Iguodala. Look, Iguodala, I forget how long he's been in the league. I mean, I remember him from the 76 days. But uh, he had hard marks and said, you know, he's usually the first guy in the gym. And if you look at you know leadership, you know last year. If you look at leadership for the Wizards, it was Kyle Kuzma, the biggest leader. You would expect Bradley Bill, but it wasn't. It couldn't, Kyle Kuzma was that guy. But Jordan Poole's kind of emerged as a dark horse leadership guy because, you know, the day that Bilal, uh, Bilal Kulabali got drafted, he was the first phone call to him. You know, over the, over the offseason, you know, Jordan Poole got everybody together, brought him out to L.A. to work. And even now, there's, you know, there's pictures through the organization and shows everybody working now, you know, building chemistry. So, you know, I'm seeing all the right things from Jordan Poole. You know, it's, 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 it's kind of, the, you know, it's one thing to judge a player from way on the other side of the coast. But when he's in your organization, you really get that coverage and see, oh, this is what he's really about. And he's young. He's hungry. He wants to win. But he's coming in here with a clear mind because uh, we did a show on, um, you know, the Draymond comments and. We said he was taking the high road. You know, he could have easily clapped back, said something to him, but he did. You know, he took the high road, and that shows a lot about his moxie where he said that. So this team is young, definitely a rebuilding team, but there's clarity in this organization that we haven't always had. So that's one high mark for us. You guys want to mine's easy. It's all, mine, mine's easy. Mine's, mine's LaMelo Ball. I mean, it, yeah. it all started, yeah. begins and ends with LaMelo Ball. Uh, can he stay healthy? That's the big question. He um, injured uh, his left ankle three times last season, and he fractured his right ankle. So, so he got both and uh, only played in 36 games. But in the games that he did play, especially those games in February where he was averaging 26, uh, 26 points and 11 assists per game. I mean, he, he flashed uh, for just a brief moment what could be for the Charlotte Hornets, and, mm-hmm. and it all starts and, and ends with him because he – uh, when he's on the floor, when he's in it, when he's um, you know in his bag, he is one of the best facilitators, one of the best playmakers in the league. Can he improve his defense? Can he become a little bit more disciplined? Can he cut some of the frustration fouls, the things that uh, you know fouled him out of several games last season? Can he cut some of that out without losing what makes Lamelo Lamelo, which is intuitive, which is creative, which is explosive, dynamic, all of those fun words that you associate with Lamelo Ball. Can he keep that, but at the same time add discipline? That's going to be sort of the hinge point between him becoming an all-NBA player. And if that happens, then the sky's the limit for the Charlotte Hornets. For uh, the Spurs, it's obvious it's Wimby. It's keeping him happy, keeping him healthy, <laughs> and keeping this team moving forward. It's very simple. He's going to have to battle not only just the hype that is surrounding him. And even, even I, I'm at the point of really saying, like, okay, I need to see him walk the walk now, you know, because I heard a lot of talk to talk. So, uh, so it's keeping him happy, keeping him healthy. We know historically about these type of players in this field and uh, showing him that this team is going to make the right move to get him into the promised land. Again, different situation. You know, Tim Duncan came into a ready-made team. 
Exactly. Remby's coming into a team that technically is still in a rebuild mode. So showing him that they can get out of this rebuild. I mean, maybe it's not a rebuild with capital letters. It's more lowercase letters now. But just to get out of that tunnel, get into the play-in, get back to the titles. Because think about it. His basketball idol was Tony Parker. And what did he see growing up watching Tony Parker? Postseason, awards, spurs on TV almost daily and monthly. River parades up and down San Antonio. Hall of Fame. So he's going to – he wants that. I mean – for crying out loud, he wore a number nine jersey at a basketball camp in France when he was a teenager. So, well, when I say teenager, he's a teenager, but a young kid, just you know, just <laughs> growing up. So, I, I think getting uh, Wimby and uh, you know Wright, uh, let him develop on his own, and uh, maybe you know, just for me, just not locking him up and letting him, as far as social media is concerned, and being out there active. The Spurs are doing a good job about that. Uh, you know, just being a little bit more accessible, I think, because he has a brand now. This is a different era for the Spurs franchise. A player that has is going to be looking for his brand. Yeah. Timmy didn't want that at all. He pushed that aside. Tony maybe was the closest. Before mm-hmm. Wemby, dare I say, the most marketable spur was David Robinson. I mean, David Robinson used to be on movies, everybody. He was in a rap video with MC Hammer. He was going to Arsenio <laughs> Hall shows. So this is this is now Wimby's time. And so I want to yeah. see uh, the Spurs allow him to be that. Again, just keeping him happy. Spurs should be all right. Free the Doug, Frenchman. What, Doug, what do you think about uh, – I'm curious, Doug, what do you think about letting players freely use social media? What's your – uh, Kai, do you ask? Kai, do you no, ask I, that question? Just, I'm just, just throwing it out there. I know that oh, – um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they, you know, no, it's 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 always a uh, a difficult thing uh, yeah. when when these guys because look, you're drafting guys younger and younger, and we've had we actually we had an interesting conversation on Lockdown Hornets about the risk of drafting raw prospects on the floor like Kai Jones because you know you're investing, especially in the first round, because you're investing in guys that you know you're where you don't know what they're going to be on the floor for another two or three years, and now you have to that's all that time window for them to change as an individual. And Crazy. these are younger and younger players coming in the league and young people change, yes. especially when you give them a lot of money. You know, that tends to change people sometimes. And so evaluating these draft prospects is just getting harder and harder, not on the floor. We, we kind of have that figured out. We can tell you if somebody's college stats are indicative or mm-hmm. uh, maybe um, you know masking something else, but it's harder and harder to figure out, are these guys gonna come in be invested in becoming great and stay invested in becoming great. That's been difficult and certainly has bitten the Hornets a few times. And why, again, why they're at this tanker table right now. Yeah. 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 And for you, Mike, who's the guy with, if you look at the Blazers, as we wrap up, if you look at the core for the Blazers three to five years from now, who are you saying, assuming that any, they survive this core, somebody from this, uh, this whole, I'll say the Damien, the end of the Dame era survives, who would that guy be the best? Well, it, it's got to be Scoot Henderson. Uh, sort of luckily for the the transition out of the Dame era, is the Blazers spent two years being terrible at the end of his uh, career. So they've they've kind of already stocked up on high level draft picks. Um, <laughs> it's maybe the reason that he wrote a, a you know a rap song, angry at the organization, on his way out of town. Shout out to my man. Um, but but, but uh, yeah, you can check it out wherever you get streaming music. It's uh, it's called Farewell. Um, but yeah, it's got to be Scoot Henderson. Like it's got to be. They they drafted him to be the heir apparent 
drafting him was part of pushing Dame finally out the door. He was going to leave anyways, but finally out the door. You know, Scoot has all NBA potential. Like that. That's yeah. that's his level. Um, it's just when does he get there, right? Like a guy like LaMelo Ball is, I think, a, a, an interesting analog for Scoot because in year two at 21 years old, LaMelo was an all-star and he was yeah. obviously going to be very good, but then it hasn't been he hasn't had the same amount of success because he hadn't been on the floor scoot mm -hmm. needs to follow that path by year yeah. two be in that conversation and if he's in that conversation it accelerates what the blazers are going to do um if he's not then they'll have to make some other decisions but scoots scoots the guy um and and you hope shaden sharp is along is there with him so cool the pistons have made some pretty notable moves this offseason trading for monty morris and joe harris you also have another year of katie cunningham on the book so what do you feel like the ceiling is for this Pistons roster? I think the ceiling for this team is hovering around mid-30 wins uh, for this upcoming season. You're going to get another year, like you said, of Kay Cunningham, hopefully fully healthy throughout the entire season, get to see his development. Um, and they obviously hired Monty Williams, who is one of the better coaches of the last few years. So yes. definitely improved some in the offseason. They added some veterans, like you mentioned, in Joe Harris and Monty, uh, Monty Morris. Um, so... The team plans to be better. I don't think this is a playoff team yet, but they certainly plan to be much better than they were last year. Um, yeah. If they can hover around the 31 mark, I think that would be considered a successful season for them. Yeah, and, and I would agree as well, because when you look back at 2015, 2016, that's the last season where they had a winning record, 44 and 38. But you got to believe that with Kate Cunningham and with Jaden Ivey and some of the veterans that they added on the roster, Sarah Thompson, that it's going to be a good look for them to at least make some noise, you know, and kind of cool. They remind me of like an Orlando magic, right? Like we don't quite know what we're going to see, but they definitely have the pieces. And I think more importantly, to your point, They've got Monty Williams. He's someone who has won at the highest level, maybe just short of obviously a title, but definitely has won at the highest level, has had some of the best players, future Hall of Famers, and can probably bring a lot in terms of his philosophy and expectations and having a winning mindset to this team. But when you think of it now that you've seen him through training camp and, and starting to just get closer to the regular season, what do you think is that one thing maybe that Monty Williams brings that tells you, hey, yeah, I think this is going to be the difference maker for this team? Well, I'm happy that you mentioned Orlando Magic because that's a team that I've said all offseason that the Pistons should be trying to aim. They should try to aim to be last year's Orlando Magic where they're not yeah. in the play-in, but you very clearly see that their future is bright. Everyone's talking about them. Everything's looking good future-wise. So you don't mm -hmm. have to make the play-in, but if they're looking at you like everyone did last year's Orlando Magic, I think they're on the right pace. Um, yeah. But with Monty Williams, I think the one thing I'm watching with Monty Williams is two things. Mm -hmm. One, are they actually going to play players that – maybe they that give you the better chance to win right now, or are they still going to give more time to just developmental players? Um, so far, everything we've heard sounds like that, hey, you're going to have to be the better player to be able to see the floor. So no more handing out minutes just to guys that, you know, because they're young and you want to see them play, try to get development. Mm -hmm. It sounds like that's just going to be about whoever's the best player is going to be touching the floor, which also, you know, causes a lot of battling and causes young players to maybe, you know, up their game a little bit to, to know that there's an expectation among them to be able to get on the floor. That's the first thing. And then the second thing would be offensively. One thing with Dwayne Casey that I was not too big of a fan of the last few years was the creativity within the offense. And I hope based off what I've I've talked to with uh, within the Suns community, some of the mm -hmm. games I watched in the Phoenix Suns, I hope that Monty brings some of that creativity that he had offensively with Devin Booker and CP3 over to the Pistons when it comes to Kay Cunningham, Jane Ivan, even uh, Jalen Duran and 
uh, Asar Thompson. Their first preseason game happened, and you already saw them using Jalen Duren at the hub, passing mm-hmm. from the high post. You saw Asar Thompson running the break and transition. You saw them doing a bunch of stuff, especially a lot of high pick and roll with Cade. So that's probably the main thing schematically that I'm looking forward to from Monty. Yeah, I, I like what, where you're going with that one because yeah, when we it's interesting because having that conversation about the Magic and having seen them, you know, as they played the Hawks down here in Atlanta, I thought to myself like, yeah, there are times when you look at a roster on paper and you say, wow, they're up and coming. But having covered the, you know, of course, covering the Hawks and having seen the Magic in action, and then last year uh, seeing Cade when Cade was, you know, healthy, seeing him in action is is, is a pre- he's a pretty special player. So I think you're absolutely right. There are enough pieces in there for the Pistons to at least say, hey, we haven't arrived, but we're arriving. And then let's be real cool. The Eastern Conference is kind of the cray cray, right? At least that's what I like to say because you've always got the one two punch essentially of the Bucks and Celtics and maybe sometimes, you know, the heat will creep in and every now and again, the Bulls will kind of threaten to get in the one, two. But I honestly feel like after you get past the one and the two, it's just anybody's game as far as like who gets the three through six seed and who ends up in the play in. And it was, as we saw down to the last minute, literally like the last day of the season where we figured out who was actually going to be in the play in, in the Eastern conference. So you just never kind of know what happens uh, in this conference. And, Of course, we know a lot of it is dictated by other things that are outside of the team's uh, control, like injuries. But ultimately speaking, I think if you have a guy like Monty Williams at the head of the organization, then you're doing very good. And I want to go back to something you said as well. We were talking about maybe getting into the 30s with the number of wins that we you expect to see from the Pistons this season. Now the line that uh, FanDuel actually gave was about 25 and a half. So just out of curiosity, what are your thoughts on how that how the Pistons would be able to maybe get into the 30s? I think that if the if the Pistons should be aiming, I think, for 32 wins this season, that would be a 15 win improvement over the last season. Now, mm-hmm. last year, there's a lot of discussion about whether the Pistons actually were the worst team in the NBA this past season or if it was only because Cade got hurt. I think yeah. Cade maybe adds a few wins, but I still think the Pistons would have been probably a bomb three team nonetheless last season. Um, I say that to say that a 15-win jump sounds like a lot when you look at normal 17-win teams, but I think the Pistons probably were hovering around like a real-life 21-22-win to 22 win team. So 10 wins still would be a big jump, but not as drastic as a jump as like 15 or 16 games would be. So I think 32 wins should be right around where they are. However, the Pistons, I don't think, have went over their win total or win projection like the last five years. So I'm going to stay away from taking the over. But the team themselves they should be eyeing to go over and they definitely should feel like 32 wins at least should be in reach. I definitely will be watching to see if one, two, three, four, all five of these teams will creep out of the tanker bubble. So that'll do it for episode six of the ultimate NBA season preview with our tankers to find out where all of the NBA teams land this season. Don't forget to check out Locked On NBA and get all six episodes of the ultimate season preview.